We are in Matthew chapter 24 today, and once again we will be looking at Jesus' words to his disciples concerning the future, concerning the end times, the events associated with his return. So turn to Matthew 24, and let me just say this, since we last gathered, a lot has happened in the world. Since we last gathered, the Boston Marathon was targeted by terrorists who killed three and injured hundreds. China experienced a magnitude 7.0 earthquake. A blast at a Texas fertilizer plant killed 14. Just yesterday, five snowboarders were killed in a Colorado avalanche. And this week, Brittany Griner, the number one pick in the recent WNBA draft, nonchalantly and confidently acknowledged publicly that she is gay. The news was celebrated by ESPN as inspiring. Since we last met, some shocking things have happened in the world, and some things that we should not be shocked, uh, we weren't, excuse me, uh, some things we, we are not shocked any longer about happened. We should be shocked by. Seems like many in, our, in this day and age are praying, our kingdom come, our will be done. Signs of the times. We're going to read verses 15 to 28 of Matthew's gospel. Once again, we are going to focus on our Savior's words regarding the end times rather than someone's system about it. So stand with me as we read. And let me say this too. In every time and place that the gospel has been preached and people's lives have been changed, Christians, those who have been born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, have believed that they were living in the last days. Events will come one after another. They were built to a decreed crescendo of praise from believers and abject horror from unbelievers. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel... Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days... Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ... Or, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, He is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control of the beginning and the middle and the end of everything. We pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding as we, under, as we read and, and think about your word today. And Lord, may you point us in the direction you want us going until you return or you call us home, whichever comes first. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. By way of review, we are in the last of five discourses that Jesus gave that are recorded in Matthew's Gospel. This one has to do with the end of the age. It is eschatological in focus, and his importance is seen in the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of the synoptic Gospels have a version of it. Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, and here in Matthew 24 and 25. It is known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus spoke these words on the Mount of Olives. Now the context of the Olivet Discourse is the prediction of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Its buildings appeared so invincible, they appeared indestructible. But Jesus says, not only will the temple be destroyed, it will happen stone by stone, piece by piece. And this discourse is in response to the disciples' threefold question regarding some important things. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And what is the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus answers by speaking of times and signs. And he speaks authoritatively about the end times. In fact, it's important to note that this discourse portrays Jesus as prophet. That he is speaking authoritatively, predicting the future. He is not just discussing current events with his disciples. He is not just reading them the newspaper. He is setting himself apart from those who would deceive and those who would lead astray. And he is calling for absolute obedience and allegiance to his words. This is what Jesus is expecting. Now we looked last week at the first 14 verses of this chapter and we saw signs of his coming that would be like the beginning of birth pains. Just last week, there was a lady in first service who was, was ready to pop. I mean, she was ready to have her baby any day. The baby was late. And so she was just waiting and anticipating. Well, then this week, she had that baby. That baby was in, in, in first hour today, three days old. The birth pains have ended. Glorious life has appeared, a brand new life. Jesus says that these these signs of his coming would be like birth pains and it would lead to glorious life. But what we see today is Jesus foretelling what would trigger those birth pains. He's giving us the trigger and the event that would trigger those birth pains is called the abomination of desolation. Look with me at verse 15. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. 
the desolating sacrilege that will happen, the abomination that lays waste, literally the abomination that causes the desolation. Luke 21 says that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will recognize her desolation is at hand. The word abomination is an interesting word. It means to be nauseous. If you've ever felt nauseous before, like I get nauseous when I go on a ride at an amusement park. That's why I haven't been to an amusement park for years and I will not go on those rides that make you sick because I've learned my lesson. It's horrible feeling nauseous. Abomination literally means to, to feel nausea, literally disgust. It's, it's the object of moral or religious repugnance that anything that, that sets itself up in God's place. Well, Jesus is referring to what Daniel prophesied. Now, we've got to go there because there is a parenthetical uh, phrase here, let the reader understand. Now, some of your Bible translations have that in red letters. Some have it in black letters, even in the red letter edition. So you might be puzzled. You might say, well, did Matthew say this or did Jesus say this? Either way, what it's pointing us to is to read Daniel to read the prophecy that's being referred to. Now, we're not going to read all of Daniel's prophecy today, but I want you to go to Daniel chapter 9. I want you to look at three different parts in Daniel where, where this is being referred to, this abomination of desolation. First of all, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. God is saying that, that desolation are, are decreed. It says, He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator now go to chapter 11 and verse 31 it says this Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And then in chapter 12 and verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, a lot of people have gotten really interested in trying to figure out all the numbers and all the times. But here, what Jesus wants us to do is to read Daniel's prophecy. He said, when you see this abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by Daniel, then you know. You know it's coming. Now, what was this referring to? This abomination of desolation. In that time, what it referred to was the desecration of the temple. And it happened. Antiochus IV was a Syrian king who ruled in the 2nd century BC. He gave himself a name. Theos Epiphanes. It meant manifest God. He... he, basically showed up and said i'm god so you need to worship me as god but people changed a letter in his name and they called him epimenes which means crazy lunatic it means it means madman the crazy one 
Very interestingly, in, in 163 BC when he died, he was insane. He invaded Jerusalem in 168 BC. He made the altar into a shrine to Zeus. He killed pigs on the altar. He made the priests eat the pigs. It was detestable. This vile king was, was but a preview of more heinous atrocities. That the abomination of desolation would come about because the Antichrist would carry it out. Jesus, it seems, was looking forward to a yet future abomination of desolation. Some would say that this prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70 when Titus invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. However, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul see a still future fulfillment. In fact, go with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We believe that the Bible is true, that it is inerrant, that it is infallible, and that things in the Bible do not contradict each other, that the message about the end times found in one place doesn't supersede another or, or cancel another out, but they are in agreement. So look at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Paul says, Let no one deceive you in any way. Isn't it interesting how many times God's people are warned against deception? Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, he says. For that day, what day? The day of the Lord that he's talking about. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This is what is going to happen. John also foresaw this. He, he speaks of it in Revelation 13, where the Antichrist sets up an image in the temple during the future tribulation. So Christ's words here are looking beyond A.D. 70 to a time of either, even greater global cataclysms that will immediately precede his coming. Now Jesus is, is, is name-checking Daniel, clarifying that the, the fulfillment of the abomination of desolation is yet future. And he says in verse 15, let the reader understand, because he wants the reader of Matthew to see that in his words, one will find true fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. He wants, to see, he wants the reader of Daniel to see that Jesus' words fulfill the prophecy. Verse 16, Jesus says, When this happens, let those who are, in, who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The mountains have always been a place where people go for refuge. In those days, if you were being chased down or pursued by a, 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 an army, you would run to the mountains and hide in the caves. Even today, people go to the mountains just for refuge, just to get away from things. Verse 17, he says, The one that's on the roof, don't come down and gather provisions out of your house. Now, we live in the kind of houses that if we were up on the roof, we might fall and break our leg or even kill ourselves, right? But in those days, the, the rooftop was part of the living quarters. It, it was a flat roof. You could go up there in the, in the evening and, 
enjoy the coolness and the breeze. It was part of the house. Verse 18, he says, if you're out in the field, don't come back in and get your coat, your outer coat. That was an essential garment for traveling. It was even used as a blanket when you were sleeping outdoors. Only those in the greatest hurry would not bring their coat. Here in Southern California, we don't know about that. We, we rarely bring a jacket. And then in verse 19, he says, How dreadful will it be for those in, in those days who are pregnant and nursing moms. Here, once again, we see how much Jesus cares for women. He's saying, if you're a pregnant woman or you're a nursing mom in that day, this will be really tough because travel in such a perilous time for those at greatest risk would be dangerous, especially pregnant moms and their infants. Jesus describes this with a woe, emphasizing that those are most vulnerable. They normally can rely on the help of others, but when people are fleeing, they'll be on their own. Verse 20, he says, pray. Pray that your flight would not be in winter. In winter when, when roads would be washed out and rivers would be swollen and there would be more difficulty to flee the horrors of this coming desolation. He says, pray that it won't be on the Sabbath. They need to cling to God's presence. They need to cling to His help. But if they go on the Sabbath when they're not supposed to work and they're not supposed to do things, it will be tough. He says it's going to be a great tribulation look at verse 21 then there will be a great tribulation a lot of people will say this is the great tribulation jesus calls it just great tribulation mega tribulation a lot of it a lot of trouble a lot of persecution there will be unheard of atrocities there will be unknown things before that time you think about the persecuted church then and now there are Christians that are being persecuted for their faith. This will be worse. They will be in great distress and it will be unequaled from the beginning of time. Never to be equaled again. Josephus, the Jewish historian in his Jewish wars, wrote in great detail of the horrors that surrounded Jerusalem's invasion during the siege of A.D. 70. But the description that, that Matthew is indicating is a time of tribulation that did not occur during the fall of Jerusalem. It's worse. You think even through time, the, the horrors that fell upon the Jewish people and even upon the entire world during world wars and, and other upheavals are, are just somber warnings that it will be worse than that. That the desolation that comes, even the desolation we see from humanity's depravity at that time, it will be unleashed, full strength, unequaled. And Jesus is pointing to something yet to come. He is painting this picture of a time to be ahead. It's a great tribulation, he says. It, it hasn't been like this before, nor ever will it be. God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. Jesus gives these descriptions of these things that will be happening and we can't even imagine. Think of the worst stories you've heard of. Think of the worst scenes that you have witnessed. Worse. But then we see mercy. Verse 22. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, If those days had not been cut short, 
no human being would be saved or rescued. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Uh, to be shortened literally means to, uh, to cut off, to leave a stump as, as like a limb. And Jesus said if the, if the afflictions of that time were to continue, no one would be rescued, no one would be saved, no one would survive. But then he says, but for the elect's sake. That word is always used in the New Testament of those who have, will be born again to a living hope through Jesus. They, and they didn't save themselves. They didn't choose themselves. They don't keep themselves in the faith. And he says, for their sake, for the redeemed people to not suffer more than they can bear, the time will be shortened. Some of you might say, you know, what I'm going through right now in my life is just too much. It's more than I can take. Jesus says that day that would be worse than any days before it will be cut short for the sake of the elect. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ. You know, he's out in Riverside. Let's go see him. You can know with assurance that it's false. It's not him. Jesus says, don't believe it. False Christ, verse 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. They're going to be doing things that it seems like only God can do. But they're going to be doing things and it's even, here's what Jesus says about it, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Let me put your heart at ease and, and let you know that the way that that is, is written basically indicates that that can't happen. That the elect cannot be led astray in this way. Sure, people get led astray in temptation, but this leading astray cannot happen to the elect. It implies that such deception is not possible. And we know the reason. Those who are the elect, the redeemed, those who are saved by Jesus Christ, are kept by God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That God has secured our perseverance. verse 25 Jesus says see I have told you beforehand I, I love this Jesus is telling them and us what's going to happen you know when someone comes up to you and says I know something but I can't tell you I got a secret and I can't tell you yet all you want to do is know the secret it's like when you're at the restaurant and the waiter or the waitress says don't touch the plate it's hot you want to touch it well, Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to keep you in suspense. He says, I'm going to tell you. And even though these things are really hard to figure out, and even though there's plenty of things in this context that we will not know until Jesus comes back, he's telling us. He's kind of building a protective fence of truth around us and saying, this is what it's going to be like. So if they tell you that I'm out there, it's not me. He said, I'm telling you beforehand so that when it happens, you won't fall for it. He says in verse 26, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness. You know, he's out in the desert. He's in Joshua Tree. 
It's not him. He said, don't go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, signifying the inner rooms of the temple. Oh, Jesus came back and he's in the temple. Everyone go. No. Jesus says, don't believe it. And here's why. Verse 27, he goes, just like lightning that goes from east to west and just flashes across the sky. That's how my coming will be. When I was a kid, I loved lightning when it wasn't near me. We drove to Nebraska one time in our 1964 uh, Impala station wagon. No seatbelts in the back seat. And uh, we drove across country. And in Nebraska, you know, you got cornfields everywhere. No mountains to get in your way. And we looked way out in the distance at night. And there were these amazing, beautiful electrical storms. Just lightning going all the way down to the ground. I thought it was really cool. Then a couple years ago, we went to Oklahoma City. And we got in this storm And I was in the hotel room, scared to death. There was lightning like flashing right in front of the window. In fact, my family had to go give a a care package to someone who goes, is a member here at Grace that was in college out there. And Angela and the kids went. And I stayed inside to protect the little kids. They were out there with lightning just bolting everywhere around them. I was praying for their safe return. Jesus says, my return will be like lightning. What's lightning like? It's sudden, unannounced. It's scary. It's dangerous. It's powerful. See, he's saying, if they tell you I am here, you'll know it's not true because the announcement will be made by no one but God. That's what Jesus is saying. In verse 28, he says, And where the carcass is, there the vultures will be. Which has puzzled a lot of people. It's a little bit of a proverbial saying, but it makes a lot of sense in the context. Just like the lightning, you know it's there when it shows up. Well, when you see birds circling around, you you figure you're out in the wilderness, you know, and you figure there's a carcass, there's roadkill, there's, you know, fresh meat down there. And, and the idea that Jesus is saying is everyone's going to know when I come back because I'm going to be letting it be known. You won't get, the, don't take the false announcements of my arrival. There's a lot of things that are hard to understand in this passage and, and I, I, um, I'm clinging to the certainty of the things we do know. There are certain things, and I mentioned a few of them last week, but there are certain things that we know with certainty and confidence about what's going to happen in the future. Number one, we know that Jesus is going to return. Number two, we know that the abomination of desolation and the tribulation will happen. Jesus says it will. Number three, we know that the millennium is real. The thousand years. Now, there are some people who say it's it's already passed, we're in the middle of it. Others say, it's, others say it's, 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 in there, it's still future. But either way, the millennium is real. Number four, we know Satan will be defeated. That is very, very clear. We know that with certainty. And the fifth thing is we will live on a new heaven and a new earth. We know that with certainty. These are the things we know. But there are plenty of things that we don't know and we, we won't know with complete certainty until Jesus comes back. 
Now, there's some other things I know. I, I know that Jesus wasn't telling his, his disciples, hey, look, I'm going to give you all these details so that you can go into your room and make charts and maps and, and just think about it all the time and don't do anything else. So you can major on the end times. It's not what he was telling them. Uh, what I love about it, and I really want us to get to the heart of the matter here. This is about loving Jesus. Last week, I, I talked about loving Jesus and longing for his return while you live here on earth. It's intensely daily and practical for a believer to think about, but it gives you an end in view that totally changes your stance towards life today. So we are to be loving Jesus by longing for his return while we live here on earth. And the focus is not really on the difficulties surrounding these puzzling words. In fact, before first service, one of the worship team was praying and they said, Oh Lord, please give Pastor Mike wisdom as he deals with this somewhat difficult passage. Um, I'm sitting there thinking, somewhat? What? No, a lot, really difficult passage. These are hard to figure out. They're sincere and intelligent Christians have been trying to figure this out for a long, long time. And they differ on what all these things mean. Now, the things we know with certainty are really clear. But I know this. I am convinced that this is not about me um, wowing you with my grasp of a difficult passage, because I can't do that. And I know it's not about me winning you over to my particular point of view, because I really have no desire to do that. What I want to sell you today, and I want you to buy, is the fact that we want to hear God speak in his word and live in awestruck wonder at how amazing and how beautiful and how gracious he is in giving us this information and in having the beginning the middle and the end all in hand that this ought to inspire us to worship him more to love jesus more as we long for his return so i I love it that we have a savior who loves us so much that he explains things even the things that once they're explained we still don't get You know, Jesus' words are, are comforting. They are assurances. They are instructions. They are warnings. And they're all wrapped up together. So when you think about the abomination of desolation and the tribulation, whenever they come and whoever will see it, it will be a time of, of great upheaval and unprecedented uh, persecution. Many unsettling things will be going on. And Christians will be called to do something. Jesus has been giving these instructions. They're right here in the text. We're going to be called to do something. And here's an interesting thing. Christians will be called to do what they're already called to do, just in greater measure. Now, endurance has already been called for in the passage we looked at last week. In the same context. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So endurance has already been called for, but now we see mercy is going to be shown. The days will be cut short for the sake of the elect. Uh, Wrath will be held back. Protection will be given. But there's something that we need to get to here that's the heart of the matter. And and I'll say this. When it comes to these chapters, we can do, you know, one of three things. Either, first of all, ignore it. And I've done that a lot with these type of things. You could say, you know, I'm going to leave this up to smarter people than me. I just know that I'm going to go to another place in the Bible that is more comforting or I can understand better. So you could do that. 
I don't think we should. The other thing you could do is, is watch the news 24-7 and try to decipher all the signs and become really good at making charts. I don't think we should do that either. What I think we should do is live our lives very aware of Christ's promises, of things yet future, and our participation in the gospel needs to be inspired and informed by that. That we should long for Christ's return while living here. But what is called for, first of all, is caution. I'll give you two things. The first is caution. What, what Christians are already called to live like, but in that day will need in greater measure, is caution. Because there are going to be false teachers. There will be dark days. It will not be a time for falling away. It will not be a time for fear. It will be a time to display extreme caution. There will be a great outpouring of God's mercy and strength for his people, but we must be very cautious. Conscious as well of eternal truth. We must have a heightened level of awareness and, and concern. Jesus says in verse 20, pray. What, what to pray for? Pray that it won't be in winter. Pray that it won't be on the Sabbath. But you are to pray. You are to go to God. You are to trust in Him. You are to depend upon Him. A friend of mine says this week, he said, hey, the dark days in which we live have only two remedies. The gospel of Jesus Christ unto salvation or the return of Christ in judgment. So help your friends and loved ones to escape the second by receiving the first there will be false prophets Paul said this to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 verse 29 he's giving a farewell to them and he said I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in not sparing the flock speaking perverse things trying to draw people away to them to them this will be worse greater caution will be needed Verse 24, Jesus says, to deceive. That's what they're going to do. They're going to deceive. So we've got to be ultra-cautious. Now there's something in my life that I'm ultra-cautious about. Spiders. I am ultra-cautious about spiders and about the, up, the, the possibility of getting a spider bite. The reason why is because in 1984, I was bit by a brown recluse. And I, I spent three days in the hospital on IVs. The doctor said if I wasn't so young and strong at the time, I would have died. So every time there's a red mark on my body, I circle it, making sure that it doesn't get bigger and swell up. You can ask my family. <laughs> we have got to be ultra-cautious about what we receive when it comes to so-called biblical truth. Because there are a lot of people peddling what they call biblical truth that are really lies from Satan. There are teachers out there. We've got to be cautious in accepting even biblical instruction. Just because it sounds good or because someone has a good haircut or is someone is a popular Bible teacher or it makes you feel good doesn't mean it's true or that it's good for you. You've got to beware of deceptive and seductive teaching that is not, not found in the Word of God. I'll give you an example. People who believe in the prosperity gospel. Some of you may go, go from this church service and go listen to the radio or 
or watch your TV and say, well, I really like this person because they got a really cool haircut or because they're just really authoritative or because they're just such a great speaker. But they might be giving you lies. There are a lot of people who are telling lies under the, under the guise of speaking for Christ. That's why all of us must be like Bereans and search the scriptures to see if the things that we are receiving are really so or did it just sound good. So we've got to be cautious. We've got to beware. We've got to be conscious, conscious of differing views and be cautious even about holding on to our views too tightly if they aren't abundantly clear in scripture or if they are not essential for salvation. Be cautious about receiving teaching that raises red flags for you. And that's why we must be associated with other believers who love Jesus because when we go off on on the wrong road, they would lovingly say to us, that doesn't seem right, that's not right, and we need to trust their judgment because the, the nature of deception is you think you're right. You think it's right and you don't know that it's wrong until after it bites you the abomination of desolation is going to be deceptive just like many teachings today already are only worse and the magnetic pull of of those types of leaders and especially the antichrist will be very hard to resist The second thing I'll point out, besides being cautious, is that we must be very courageous. Very courageous. I think sometimes, as I look around either in the mirror or or in the Christian community, that there is a whole generation of immobilized Christians just waiting for who knows what, who are who are a generation of, of amused and entertained people calling themselves followers of Christ, but they've learned just to kind of just kind of react to whatever happens or respond to whatever happens and try not to be uh, rocking the boat too much. We are so afraid to speak biblical truth because we think we're going to be called bigots or, or judgmental or intolerant. We are to speak courageously in a loving way the truth. We are, we are to have courage to say no to false ideas inside and outside the church. And I don't mean things that you prefer to be a certain way. I mean things that are contrary to biblical truth. When there is something contrary to sound doctrine like Paul was talking to Timothy and Titus about. But what happens usually is we want to be bland, not bold. We want to be, we're playing, we're not praying we're seeking comfort we're not seeking to be courageous courage is marked by bold risk taking when I was in high school my best buddy Caesar and I we went on a bike ride once and we got chased by some big dogs so we went back down that same block to get chased again that's just foolish courage is not foolishness God wants us to be courageous to lovingly and boldly speak gospel truth to those actively opposed and resisting it. 
We need to speak gospel truth to those who are rejecting the truth. And we need to be courageous to do what Christians do. You know, we are called every day to be cautious and courageous. But in that day, it will need to be a heightened level of both of those things. But think about it. If we can't do it now, what makes us think that we're going to be trusting God to do it then? If we can't trust God now with, with our life now, think about it. You know how many people, you know how much of my pastoral counseling is really encouraging people to do what Christians do? That you're a Christian, right? Yes. Well, then just, why don't you do what the Bible says? Well, I don't want to do that. Say, well, I don't want to forgive them. I can't forgive them because of what they did to me. Well, maybe you don't understand what Jesus did. Maybe you're not a Christian. I don't know. Only God knows. All I can tell you is, God wants you to have courage to forgive when everything inside you wants to make the person pay. Why would you want to do that? Why would God want you to do that? Someone ripped your heart out. Someone injured you in a really bad way. You're asking the toughest question in the world. And the answer is, only by Jesus can you do that. To be courageous enough to, to set aside your own personal feelings and your own personal pain and go to the blood and guts of the gospel go to the heart-wrenching gut-ripping pain on pain that the gospel tells us makes us hopeful while living in the last days because jesus did that he died for his enemies he died for those who were fighting against him he died for those who were who were blaspheming against him it's really interesting that Jesus spoke of Daniel and his prophecy. If you want a good example of of cautious courage, just read Daniel and what he did. I'll just give you one example. He says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, right after he talks about the abomination of desolation, he says the people who know their God will display strength and take action. That's what Daniel did. Here's a man who knew God, who loved God. And when the presidents and the, the priests of the Medo-Persian Empire prevailed upon King Darius to sign a decree that no one could pray to anyone but the king, what did Daniel do? He kept right on praying to the one true God at the risk of his life. They threw him in a den of lions. But he knew God and he knew that God could save him from the mouths of the lions and he did we too can have that spiritual power to do the will of God in the midst of unthinkable circumstances let's pray Lord God we thank you for how good you are to us thank you that you make your power readily available to those who know and love you. I think of Daniel and think of the courage and strength to do your will even when everybody was against him and everyone around was giving in to sin. Lord, may we have that kind of power, the power of your Holy Spirit to make a significant impact on the godless world in which we live. Lord, use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.